With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. it's in the right place where I won't snag myself. Page 21. 
heard about his healing of his strange and glory. How he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. Then I cried, Dear Jesus, come here. And so Jesus he to be the victory. go in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for getting us through last year. Praise God. 
Thank you, Lord, for keeping us and preserving us and protecting us and getting us into a new year, a new day, and a new month. Thank you, Lord, for new beginnings. Thank you, Father, that you're faithful to finish the work that you started in us. We ask you, Lord, for your special anointing on today's worship services and sermon and everything that's said and done. May it all be to your glory and for the edification of the church and for the bearing fruit of salvation. May more people come to know you and understand your commandments, your way of life, the scriptures, more by the time this sermon is done than what they already knew and understood before. We know that this will be true, and we accept it. We pray for all of our brothers and sisters in the Islamic nations, communist nations, dictatorships, where their lives could be in danger just for having a Bible, just for speaking the name of Jesus. We pray for your special protection on them. We ask you, Lord, to give us understanding of the coming times. Give us direction how to prepare for the future. Please give us deliverance of our hearts and minds, of our souls. Please deliver us from evil. Show us the enemy's tactics in advance so that we can be prepared. Please help us to be more courageous in our spiritual warfare. Please help each one of us to fulfill our gender roles, and our callings that you have called us with. May none of us be left behind, but each one fulfill their destiny. We know that you'll give us the strength if we look into you. You'll give us the power, the ability, and all that we need if we look into you, because you are faithful and true, and to the end and beyond, praise your holy name of Jesus. We commit the service into your hands. Please speak through me. Help me to speak only the truth. So help me, God. Help us, Lord to be woken to the truth. Deliver us from every lie. We know that you will if we look into you. Through Jesus we pray. So be it. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Maybe see it. Let's turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14. And it's really Marcus, Marcus, 
is the way it originally was. It's not just Mark, but Marcus originally. Marcus chapter 14. Give everybody time to get there. Starting in verse 12, this is page 62. If you have the paperback AOB Bible, page Today, we're going to review about Passover, the requirement of Passover. And that is the title of today's sermon is Passover Requirement. Passover Requirement. Mark 14, unfortunately, most people that call themselves Christians have no idea what the Bible really says about Passover. Most people that call themselves Christians in our modern time think that Passover is something they did only in the time of Moses, only in the Old Testament. But the scriptures of the New Testament is very clear very, very clear about the requirement of Passover for even the New Covenant Christians. Absolutely. And we will show that today in Scripture. Amen. In Mark 14, starting in verse 12, on the first day of unleavened bread, the AOB has a footnote that says Passover day. When the Passover lamb was being sacrificed. The very fact that it was the day that the Passover lamb was being sacrificed tells you that it was definitely Passover day. Now the reason it says first day of unleavened bread is that the Jews use the term unleavened bread for even, even Passover day. Even Passover day is called first day of unleavened bread. You do start eating the unleavened bread at the Passover communion. That's when you start the seven days of unleavened bread. It is at sunset on Passover evening. So technically, in a way, absolutely, the Passover communion is the first day of unleavened bread. Now, all of your days definitely begin at sunrise. We have an article on the website 
isawthelightministries.com that talks about and gives you the solid proof from scripture and history both that the day does start at sunrise every day. But when you're dealing with fasting and the observance of holy days with a requirement of what you eat and what you don't eat, then that observance, the observance of such a day begins at sunset. That's different than a day starting at sunrise. It's totally different. There is the day itself, the time frame of 24 hours, and then there is the observance of fasting or, or abstaining from certain foods. That's different from a 24-hour data. So the observance of unleavened bread, of eating the unleavened bread, begins at sunset. And therefore, we're going to call it the first day of unleavened bread starting at sunset. Passover day actually started at sunrise that same day, at sunrise, not sunset of the previous day. There's nothing in Scripture that proves that. Actually, Scripture proves it was sunrise. And we even see it in this passage here, proof that the day starts at, that the day does not begin at sunset. Because if you jump down to verse 17, when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as we keep reading, it's going to let us know that he ate the Passover. At evening, at sunset, he ate the Passover at sunset, as required in the book of Exodus. It tells you to eat it at sunset. He did that. He kept the law. He never sinned. He never, ever, ever broke the law. Amen. And yet, before it became evening, before it became evening in verse 12, it's already Passover. It's already Passover. It's already the day that they're sacrificing the Passover. It takes time to prepare the lamb. They didn't have microwaves, refrigerators, ice boxes. It took time to prepare the lamb, and they killed it and took time to prepare it properly, cut it up, skin it, all of that before it was time to eat it. It took hours, or at least an hour, to do it. Amen. So it was already the day of sacrificing the Passover before it became evening. And that proves Passover day does not start at evening. Amen. Amen. So we continue reading that it was the day that it was sacrificed. His disciples said to him in verse 12, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him. Now I'm going to pause there just for a second to explain something that 
almost everybody that calls himself a Christian does not know. It's a very basic elementary thing, but they don't know it. The word disciple, what does it mean? Most people that call themselves Christians believe that it's a disciple of Christ is only a person that follows him. Follows him. Maybe worships him. Follows him. Calls himself a Christian, whatever. But actually it goes much deeper than that. It is a person that is a servant and a student. A apprentice of that man. It means that these 12 men not only followed him and worshipped him, but they learned from him. Learned from him. That he taught them, that he was their mentor. That they were literally studying his teachings and learning not only doctrines, but how to live everything about life from A to Z. Everything about what to do from the time they wake up to the time they go to bed. Everything about life, not just religion, but everything about life. All encompassing, all encompassing. Most people that call themselves Christians in our day and time, especially in the Western world, believe that being a Christian means all you got to do is believe in God. Say one prayer and never forsake God. Always believe in Him. Say an occasional prayer. Maybe read an occasional verse out of the Bible. Maybe go to church once or twice a year or once in a lifetime. And that's all. And don't murder nobody. And just be good to people. And that's all. But a true disciple of Christ gives his entire life to God. Everything from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, is learning from God, following God, obeying God. He is your mentor. You're studying. You're deeply examining life and how to live it. It's more than just faith. It is total devotion. Amen. Total commitment. Amen. So these students or disciples was told to go find a man carrying a picture of water, a container of water, and follow that man because he would know uh, he his location would be where they was going to eat dinner because they had to meet in secret a lot. Verse 14, and whenever he enters, Wherever he enters, say to the owner of the house, the teacher says, see right there, 
that teacher says. I didn't even realize they even used the word teacher in that next verse. I didn't. God is my witness. I didn't even realize it said teacher in that next verse. And you can read the word disciple throughout the New Testament without having the word teacher in the very next verse. But it just so happened. That's God confirming the teaching. That's God. Every one of you just witnessed a miracle. Every one of you just witnessed God himself, our teacher, confirming what had just previously came out of my mouth. Because I did not plan it that way. I did not even plan to even speak about the word disciple today. Did not even plan to even explain what the word disciple means. Nor did I even realize the word teacher was in the very next verse. You ever wanted to just witness a miracle. And yet, some of you that just witnessed that miracle, who some of you have already witnessed other miracles in this ministry, and every one of you, if you keep listening, will continue to witness miracles almost every day or every week almost. And yet, some of the same people will be gone from this ministry very shortly because people have no endurance and they do not commit themselves entirely unto the Lord and learning and commitment. People today have no idea what commitment and devotion to God means. And they do not fear God. And they can say it all they want to, that they're committed, that they're devoted, and that they do fear God. But when, when, when the truth is manifested, they run away. Amen. They run away very quickly and very easily, and they forsake everything that God has showed them, every miracle and every teaching, every revelation of truth is all thrown in the trash can because they don't like my attitude or they don't like one word, one particular word that comes out of my mouth that upsets them or a particular doctrine that they disagree with and they throw away every revelation, teaching, and miracle. They trample underfoot the word of God and that happens constantly. Amen. Constantly. I, I can't even tell you how many people in my life have told me that. That they know God brought them into this ministry. They know it. They have no doubt at all. And they've seen the miracles. And they say that to me one day, and then the very next day they're gone. I can't even tell you how many times it has happened. How quickly people forget the power of God, and they have no fear. No fear at all of God. None. And it's an epidemic of such foolishness. Epidemic of such foolishness. Absolutely. Nevertheless, let us move forward. The teacher says, whenever he enters, say to the owner of the house, that the teacher says, where 
is my guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples. And he said, he himself will show you a large upper furnished and ready and prepare it for us there. Now the disciples went out and came to the city and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. And that took some time for them to receive this instruction and then go out into the city and find that man and then to kill the lamb and prepare it. This took surely several hours to do all of this, and yet it was already Passover. It was already Passover. And then verse 16, the disciples went out and came to the city and did that. All right, so verse 17, when the evening came, he was there with the twelve. Verse 18, and they were reclining at the eating table and eating. That was the custom of the time, is they did not sit at chairs around the table like we do today. But the custom at the time was that the table that the food was on was only one foot off the ground. Only one foot off the ground, or else they would lay it actually on the ground. And they would actually lounge, lay around on the floor while they was eating. That was how they did it back then. And Jesus said, Amen, which means this is true, what I'm about to say. That's what that means. I say to you that one of you will betray me. One of you that is eating with me. And they began to be grieved and say to him, one by one, surely not I. He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who dips with me in the bowl. For the Son of Mankind is to go just as it is written of him, but woe to that human by whom the Son of Mankind is betrayed. It would have been good for that human if he had not been born. And while they were eating, he took some bread, and after a blessing, he broke it and gave it to them. Now notice that bread, they all shared that same bread. He broke it apart, and he passed it down the line. And each one would have taken a piece and kept passing it down the line. And then he gave it to them and said, take it, this is my body. Now, of course, he was talking symbolically that the bread, unleavened bread, represented his body. And it was definitely, definitely unleavened. The unleavened means that that bread has no baking soda, no baking powder, no eggs, nothing that would cause the bread to puff up or rise, or to have air bubbles in it. Because the leavening, according to another scripture, I believe it might be in Corinthians, the leavening is a symbolism for sin. For sin. So the bread not having any leavening represents his body had no sin. And then verse 23, when he had taken a cup and gave it thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank 
from it, from that one cup. Most people today would be grossed out. Most people today would be like, I'm not drinking from the same cup as everybody else in the building. But they did. Here, there's, counting Jesus, 13 people. 13 men all drinking from the one cup. That is brotherhood. Amen? Amen. That is devotion. That is commitment. Amen. Family, many times, family will drink from the same cup. Brother Gerald here, he makes a drink. He's like, here, you want a taste? He hands it to me. I drink from the same cup. And vice versa. Amen. We're brothers. Amen. Amen. Verse 24, he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. I want you to underline or circle that word, many. Because his blood, his sacrifice, is not just for a few people, but for many people. Many, many people. A lot of Christians have the wrong ideal. A lot of Christians think that God is a loser. Most Christians, the largest percentage, almost every Christian, so-called Christian on this planet, almost every one of them on this planet, over a billion so-called Christians, think that God is going to lose out on his plan of salvation, that he's a failure. That almost every person that's ever been born has already gone to hell that there are literally billions of people burning in hell right now is what they believe. Because if you go all the way back to Adam and Eve, there's definitely been billions of people to live and die. And they think that almost every one of those people were lost. It's very hypocritical. Because they also believe that almost every Christian alive today is saved. Amen. That's pretty crazy. Hypocritical thinking. Yes. They tell you that all those people in the jungles of Africa and South America, Native American Indians, so forth, all around the world that never heard about Jesus and never read a Bible in their life. All the people that never heard the gospel back before the British, back before the British Empire brought the gospel to the nation of Africa and India and so forth. Back before the gospel came to Korea and Russia and China. So all those billions of people were lost, but yet the majority of people alive today are saved. That's what they think. 
So anyway, many people will be saved. Many people. The book of Revelation speaks about such a huge number of people that will be saved in the great tribulation that can't even be counted of every language on earth, every nation on earth. Amen. Many people will be saved. Verse 25. Amen. What I'm about to say is true. I say to you, I will never again drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of Theos. Fruit of the vine. A lot of people think that's just grape juice. But if you compare this with 1 Corinthians 11, which God willing will read here in a few minutes, 1 Corinthians 11 is very clear that some people were getting drunk on that fruit of the vine. So it wasn't just grape juice. Unless you say it's fermented grape juice, which is just another way of saying wine. It was definitely, definitely, absolutely real wine. And so today, we should not play around. We shouldn't be like children and serve Kool-Aid for Passover. And we shouldn't serve just plain grape juice for Passover. It's not a game. It's not child's play. It was real. Amen. And if they drank the real thing, we should drink the real thing. Amen. Verse 26, after singing a hymn, singing a hymn, a song, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Now, today, in our modern times, it's not absolutely necessary that we sing a song at the ending of our Passover communion. There's no words in Scripture that says, Thou must or thou should sing a song at the end of the Passover communion. It's not a commandment. It's just something that they did do. And it's okay if you do it too. It's just not a commandment. But one thing they did not do was they did not linger around there all night. They went on to the Mount of Olives. And so today, these modern times, when we are done with our Passover communion and then we do the foot washing, which we're going to read about also in a few minutes, God willing, we do the communion, we do the foot washing, and we leave. If we want to, we can sing a song, and then we leave. We don't stay throughout the evening having fellowship and popcorn and everything. No. We do it, and we leave to symbolize the fact that they did it, and they left, and also to symbolize that later that night when Christ was arrested, all the disciples deserted him. All of them, every one of them, left 
and departed from his side. So we leave after Passover communion to help to symbolize that as well. And also returning back to our homes, giving us time and space to reflect, to think upon the Passover sacrifice and about the events of that night. And reflecting upon our own lives that surely we'll be committed to Christ and not forsake Him. Amen. But we should think about that way ahead of time, even before Passover evening. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11 is going to teach us here in a few minutes that you don't just take Passover communion very lightly like everybody else does. It's something to examine yourself about before you take it. All these people that believe, almost all of them that call themselves Christians, if they even believe in communion, which a lot of them don't, but if they do believe, if they do believe in communion, they think you can just take it any time, any day, any week, any month. You can take it at Christmas. You can take it at Easter. You can take it every Sunday. You can take it once or twice a month. They treat it like it's coolant rather than the blood of Christ. They treat the communion very lightly. And every one, of them, every one of them would say, and I've heard it over and over and over, oh, I don't take it lightly. It's a very serious thing to me. But again, that's a hypocritical statement. How can you, how can you say it's very serious and you're not taking it lightly, lightly when you're treating it like Kool-Aid, drinking it anytime you want to? Passover is a very serious thing. It's something that has to be prepared for, for weeks in advance. Let's go over to John 13. John chapter 13. We're going to read about the foot washing here because most of the people that take communion don't even do the foot washing. That's insane. They don't wash their feet every Sunday. Yeah, they take the, they take the wine every Sunday, but they don't want to wash their feet every Sunday. Hypocritical. I had one Baptist preacher try to tell me that it was just a matter of the fact that there was a sewer in the seats, in the streets. That there was a lot of mud, there wasn't paved roads, there was trash in the streets, there was uh, poop in the road, which is true. And therefore, when you come in somebody's house, they would wash your feet. That was the custom of the day, and all that's true. But that has nothing to do with why they was washing each other's feet after supper on Passover. Come on now. People are ridiculous. They will grab on to any excuse they can think of to disobey God. 
any excuse they can think of, just pull out of the air any excuse they can think of to disobey what the Scripture tells you to do. John 13, verse 1. It says, In the beginning of the fiesta of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of the world to the Father, having loved his own and who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, the devil, having already put in the heart of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, to betray him. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come forth from Theos and was going back to Theos, got up from supper and lay aside his garments and taken a towel, he girded himself. He wrapped the towel around, around his waist, which would be how a servant would dress to wash people's feet. Now, we'll go back to verse 1 for a second. The way it's worded right now in the AOB is now in the beginning of the fiesta of the Passover. And that's not completely accurate. It's very hard to translate. And we're going to make a correction here. You can scratch out four words. In the beginning of. In the beginning of, cross that out, and replace it with one word, at. A-T, at. So it's going to read, now at the fiesta of the Passover. Because that Greek word pro, P-R-O, P-R-O, pro can be translated many different ways. It can be translated as in the beginning or in the chief part of or at or before or in the front of or first. It can be translated many different ways. And this is true of almost every Greek word and every Hebrew and almost, almost every aromatic word. All these ancient languages Many different ways you could translate these words. But I've come to conclude now it's better to say at the fiesta of Passover. Now in verse 4, he lay aside his garments. Now you can debate about whether he put his shirt off or not. You can debate about whether he had two or three or four or five or a million different layers of clothing. He only took off the top layer. There's different things to consider about the Greek there. There's different things to consider in many different ways. But the biggest clue is that he took a towel and girded himself around the waist. It doesn't say waist, but that's what it would have been. The towel is there to dry the men's feet with. He was taking the role of a servant, even though he was the master, he was the teacher. He was definitely the chief rabbi. He was God on earth. 
But he's doing something to set an example to those men. He's taken the role of a servant, which he even came to earth as the role of a servant to die for our sins. He was God Almighty, but yet he was very humble in many ways. Amen. And so I believe, although I'm not going to say 100% for sure, but I believe most likely that he did become shirtless or even completely naked as possible in this scenario, in this situation, rather, because the servants of the time were definitely naked almost all the time. Clothing was extremely expensive. And most poor people either had not even one stitch of clothing or very, very, very little clothing, especially those that were servants by trade, by profession, that that's what they did, or, by, or that they were slaves. They were naked 24 hours a day, and they would be naked in the streets. They would be naked at the supermarket. They would be naked everywhere. That was the truth and the reality of that day and time. Whether you like it or not, whether it offends you or not, whether it upsets you or not, whether you knew it or did not know it or not, that is absolutely the reality of that day and time and always had been, from the time of Adam and Eve all the way thousands of years up to this very time that we're talking about, slaves and servants and even your everyday people that wasn't slaves and servants did not have clothes. And they were not embarrassed, they were not ashamed, nobody considered it as offensive. And I know that You've read books, and it's going to be even in the footnotes and some Bibles, and it's in the movies and everything, that the Jews were offended by nudity. But that's not the truth. That's not the historical record. That's just religion talking by people that don't know what they're talking about. Amen. He took the role of a servant, and it wasn't a game. Amen. Verse 5, then he poured water into the basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel which he was girded or clothed with. He was clothed with the towel. So he came to Simon Peter and said to him, Peter said to him, Master, do you wash my feet? I like to get those separated in two different sentences, Brother Gerald. He came to Simon Peter. And then the next line, skip the line, goes to the next line, breaking apart to two different lines. He said to him, Peter said to him, Master, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered and said to him, What well, I do, you do not realize now, but you will understand hereafter. Later on. Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. No part with me. 
So I want you to underline, if I do not worship you, you have no part with me. Think about that. If you really think about it, if we do not do the foot washing, if we do not do the communion, we have no part with God. Christ was doing this as an example of what we should do. And we're going to read that here in a minute, that he says that. So if he said an example of what we should do, and he told Peter, if I don't do this, you ain't got nothing to do with me, then that's true for us too, not just for Peter. This is not just something they were doing for sanitation or anything else. This was, this was not a game. This was a very serious thing that Christ has set an example for us with. Now, if you don't have a brother or sister, a true, spiritual, baptized, saved brother or sister with you locally to do the foot washing, then that's, a, that's an exception. There are exceptions. Many, 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 many times there are exceptions. And so if you don't have a brother or sister to take turns to wash each other's feet, God understands, and it's okay, and you'll be fine. God ain't going to condemn you. And then next year or the next year, whenever, God eventually brings you a true brother or a true sister, then when it comes Passover, you can wash each other's feet. So God understands your situation. If you're the only one in your town, if you're the only one in your state or your nation that is a true disciple of Christ, then how can you worship by speech? He's not going to condemn you for not doing it when you can't do it. But the Passover communion, as far as the bread and wine, you can definitely do by yourself. With no exception, you can definitely do the bread and the wine by yourself. Amen. But now, going back to the wine thing, if somebody is a really bad alcoholic, then that would be a acceptable exception to give that one person just regular grape juice instead of real wine if that person is very, very extremely addicted to alcohol and that one sip is going to send him overboard and down the drain. But most of the time, that's not the situation. Most of the time, even alcoholics can take one sip as long as everybody else is around them to say, that's enough, this is all you're getting for the rest of the night, it's not going to be no big problem. So it's a very, very, very rare exception that you would say that the alcoholic is so bad that we better give him just grape juice. Very rare exception. Now, continuing in verse 9, 
Simon Peter said to him, Master, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. If, if washing one another's feet is what it takes to be part of you, then wash all of me, Lord. Jesus said to him, He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. Eleven. And he knew the one who was betraying him for the reason he had said, not all of you are clean. So when he had washed their feet and taken his garments and reclined again, and notice garments is pearl, underline the S, more than one garment. Even verse 4 has an S on the end of that word garment. If it was only one layer of the outer clothing that he removes, like they always say, then why is it pearl? Amen. Amen. He removes more than just one garment. And then he reclined again back down to the floor, and he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord. And you are right, for I am. Whew, praise the Lord. Amen. Verse 14. And if I then, the Lord and the teacher, wash your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. He wasn't talking about sanitation because everybody already did that. Everybody already washed one another's feet every day. But he wasn't talking about that. They wasn't dirty old men. They wasn't slobs that was walking around with, with, with poop on their feet all the time. They was already washing one another's feet. Come on now. This was different. This was a holy ceremony. Amen. Passover ceremony. Amen. He said you ought to wash one another's feet. Verse 15, for I gave you an example that you also should do as I did to you. Amen. Underline that whole sentence. Amen. Verse 15, underline that whole sentence. And then verse 14, underline, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Amen. If Jesus says we ought to do it, then we ought to do it. Amen. Verse 16. Amen, amen. This is double amen. This is how true it is. I'm going to say this is true. This is true, buddy. I say to you, a slave, uh, underline that word, slave. A slave is not greater than his master, nor one who is sent greater than the one who sent him. What he's saying here, I took the role of not just a servant, but a slave. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I guarantee it was more than one piece of clothing that he took off. A slave? Come on now. He said, I took the role of a slave, and a slave is not greater than his master. So what he's saying there is, 
if I done this to you, you ought to do this to one another. In other words, in other words, I was able to humble myself to do this. You should be able to humble yourself to do this. Just like passing around one cup and one piece of bread, all eating from the same bread and all eating from the same cup, closeness, brotherhood, family, relationship with one another. People go to these churches every Sunday. They walk in five minutes before the sermon starts. Some of them only 30 seconds before the sermon starts. Some of them 10 minutes after the sermon starts, they walk in. And then they leave 10 minutes before the sermon's done. Or they leave as soon as the people say amen at the closing prayer. They are out the door as fast as they can go. They don't give a H. They don't give oh man. I wish there wasn't so many babes listening in a way. But yeah, I'm glad there's babes listening. I'm glad there's babes listening. But it's difficult to talk as an adult man, when the ears are so tender. Amen. Amen. I might cut your ears accidentally. The Word of God is a sharp two-edged sword. But people don't care about each other in these churches. They can say all they want to. I love you, I love you, I love you. Shake your hand. But where are they the rest of the week? Where are they when you need somebody to help you? Where are they? Huh? They say, oh, they call you brother. They say, oh, you're my sister. I love you. I'm praying for you. But where are they when you need them? That ain't family. That ain't brotherhood and sisterhood. Those are strangers. They see each other every Sunday or maybe every other Sunday or once a month. And they say, oh, you're my brother? Bullcrap. Bullcrap. We really ought to be family. Love is more than a word. Amen. Verse 17. If you know these things, you're blessed if you do them. Amen. Underline, you're blessed if you do them. That reminds me of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 11 and other places in the Bible that says, I have said before you this day both a blessing and a curse. A blessing if you keep the commandments, but a curse if you do not keep them. That's what the Bible says. Anybody ever told you that commandments is both a blessing and a curse? 
That's why the Bible says, blessing if you keep them, and a curse if you disobey. And this says you're blessed if you keep them, if you do them. This is a commandment. Amen. This is definitely a commandment. Amen. So let's add the Bible reference at the end of verse 17. Deuteronomy 11. Amen. That whole chapter. Deuteronomy 11. In verse 17, add Deuteronomy 311 to our chat. Then let's go over to chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 48. Page 109. You can have the paperback AOB, page 109. John 6, verse 48. Praise Jesus. Verse 48, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This, his body, is the bread which comes down out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. Just like he said to the woman at the well, also in John, if he was to drink, if she was to drink of his water, she live forever. Same is true of the bread here, talking about his body. Not die. Now that means will not die the second death. Of course that's what that means, right? He's not saying you get saved and you'll live eternally forever in this flesh. He's not saying that. You know what? This is proof that you do die in the lake of fire. Amen. This is proof that you do die in the lake of fire. You don't live forever and forever and forever in the lake of fire. Because Jesus said that if you are truly saved and, and you endure, if you read all of the book of the Bible, amen, John 15 and so forth, you got to endure and not fall away. That as long as you eat this bread and this Passover and do the foot worship and do the Sabbath, the holy days, and all the other requirements, and stop sinning eventually, and become holy and become a saint eventually, it's all a process, it takes time, but as long as you continue on that journey and you continue to grow and grow and grow and grow in holiness and righteousness, in sanctity, becoming a saint, then you're not going to die in the lake of fire. So that means, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. 
is one or the other. You can't have both. The churches of this world says that both the wicked and the righteous both live forever and never die. That Romans 6.23 is one or the other. Life or death, the gift of God is life, eternal life. The wages of sin is death, not life. Boy, it's one of you can't have both. Amen. The original lie of the serpent in the Garden of Eden is you can disobey God and take of that forbidden fruit and not die. That was the original lie, and all these Christians still believe the original lie, the first lie ever told by the devil, to humans, that is. They still believe it to this day. The oldest lie. That's pretty sad. Amen. Verse 51. I am the living bread that come down out of heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he'll live forever. That means if you don't eat of the bread, you're not going to live forever. Amen. It's either life or it's death. It's not one of it's you can't have both. And the bread also will I give for the life of the world is my flesh. 52, then the Judeans began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, or amen, amen, I say to you, unless, unless, you eat of the flesh of the Son of Mankind and drink his blood, you have no life in yourselves. No life in yourselves. He's talking about eternal life. He's talking about the Holy Ghost. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about salvation. So this is the reality. Despite anything you've ever been taught, this is the reality. You can say all you want to, that you already have the Holy Spirit. That if you have never taken Passover communion, you don't have the Holy Spirit. You don't. You simply do not. Now, there are some exceptions, very rarely. And for the most part, the only exceptions are, for the most part, the only exception is, is that you did already get baptized within that previous year, but it's just simply not Passover yet, and you have to wait till Passover to take the communion. But you did get baptized that year, and you're simply waiting to take the Passover communion when it's time. In that case, in that exception, then yes, hopefully you might have the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ already in you because you did commit yourself to the Lord in the truth with the knowledge and understanding of the truth with a commitment to become the bride of God and to be a true disciple 
totally committed to God. Totally committed, not just believing that there's a God, but totally committed to learn and to grow in Christ Jesus forever. That's way, way, way different than just believe and say one prayer. Totally different. But that baptism is absolutely required. Mark 16, 16. Hold your bookmark right here. Put a piece of paper here. And let's just look at Mark 16, 16. Now, everybody have time to get that. Page 65, Mark 16, 16. The one, I mean, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. Amen. But he who has not believed shall be condemned. He who has believed and has been baptized. But common sense tells you that you cannot be truly baptized by someone that's not saved. It just doesn't make sense, does it? Can you, can you go out there and just find any stranger on the street, any stranger, Somebody might even have 666 tattooed on their forearm or on their forehead. Can you go up to such a person and say, hey, can you baptize me? Of course you can. And neither can you go up to a Sunday preacher that believes in a three-headed God, Greek mythological monster God that has three heads and worships Easter which is the worship of the devil, and worships Christmas, which is worship of the devil, and believes in a pre-trib rapture fairy tale, and believes in eternal torture, which means that God is Satan. If you believe in an eternal torture, then you're not serving God. You're serving Satan. And when you go to church on Sunday and Easter, you're not serving God. You're serving Satan. So it don't matter that your heart was right in the right place and you had the right intent and that you loved the pastor and the pastor smiled at you. It don't matter. The truth, the reality is Christmas is the, the day that Adam and Eve sinned. The Catholic Church even tells you that. The Orthodox Church even tells you that. It's in their books. It's the feast of Adam and Eve of the day they sinned and took of the forbidden fruit. That is December 25th. And they do not honor God with such a date of commemoration. It's also the birthday of Zeus. It does not honor God. Easter does not honor God and bunny rabbits and Easter eggs do not honor God. We have to be willing to confess our sins, even if, even if, it, even if it was a, a sin of ignorance, even if we were 
slaves to Babylon and brainwashed and programmed by a very corrupt society. We have to confess that we were blind, that we were ignorant, that we were lost, because God has opened our eyes. How can, how can we deny that? God has opened our eyes. We must confess our sins. And we must declare that we need the Savior, the true Savior, not the fake Savior of December 25th. Not the one born on December 25th, not Zeus. But we need the true Savior, Jesus, to come into our lives and to remove all of this program and all of this brainwashing, all of these lies from our brain, from our heart, from our lives. And we must be delivered of legalism, which is rampant. We must be delivered from it. The church needs to get saved. Amen. You must be baptized to be saved and not baptized by Babylon, false religion and false preachers that don't even know the Bible, but by somebody that actually doesn't know the Bible. Amen. Let's go back to John where we have a bookmark. In John 6 here, now of course, this bread and drinking the blood, it is symbolism that is performed through Passover communion. Even though the word Passover communion is not in these verses, we can use a little bit of common sense, okay? We know that the foot washing is in John 13, not far away from here. Amen. We can use a little bit of common sense. We know that he's not literally telling us that we've got to go sacrifice a human. We know that he's not telling us to go and sacrifice animals and drink its blood because animal sacrifices are definitely done away with. Amen. Amen. So how are you going to drink? His blood, how are you going to eat his flesh? And it's commanded, how are you going to do it? One prayer? Uh-uh. No. You do it by observing exactly what he did for his students. And we're his students now. We're his disciples now. We ought to do the same as they did. Amen. This is definitely Passover communion. And it says there in verse 53, John 6, 53, Jesus said to them, Amen, amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Mankind and drink his blood, you have no life, no eternal life, no Holy Ghost in you. That's clear as day. That's clear as day. 54, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. 
Only those people, not everybody, not the wicked, only those people. And I will raise him up on the last day, meaning the last day of this generation, meaning the first resurrection. 55, verse 55, for my flesh is true food and my blood is the true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. You have to do that in order to have Christ in you. Amen. Now, let's go over to 1 Corinthians 11. We said we were going to read that. Let's go do that now. 1 Corinthians 11. Page 185. I got to stop ab living so much. <laughs> but God is with us. Amen. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 17. So let's go over to the next page. Verse 17, page 186. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. We're going to read from here through the end of the chapter. 186. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17. But in giving this instruction, I do not praise you because you have come together not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a congregation of called out ones, I hear that divisions exist among you, and in part I believe it. For there must also be factions among you, so that those who are approved may become evident among you. Therefore, when you meet together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in your eating, each one takes his own supper first, and one is hungry and another is drunk. This is not good for this to be happening at Passover. It is Passover. It is the Lord's Supper. Verse 20, the Lord's Supper. And so what he's saying is, you're doing the communion in a chaotic manner. Amen. Getting drunk on the wine, which means it's real wine. And each one just chowing down Whenever he wants to eat, instead of waiting for all of them to do it all together. Verse 22, what? <laughs> I do not have, do you not have houses in which to eat and drink? Do you, or do you despise the church, the congregation of called out ones of God, and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? In this I will not praise you. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Verse 25, in the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this. As often as you drink it, 
in remembrance of me. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, because it says, as often as you drink it, that's where all these churches think that they can drink it often. As, as often as they want, it don't matter when. They can drink it like Kool-Aid. But it does not say drink it often. It does not say that, does it? Does it say drink this often? No, it don't say that. What it says is as often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of him. That's entirely different. As often as I drink it, and as often as you ought to drink the Passover communion is once a year. That's not often, but that is as often as we drink it. In other words, the word often can be translated as when. When. When you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. It does not mean Drink it often. It just means when you drink it, do it in remembrance of Christ. Don't do it for no reason. Don't do it like it's Kool-Aid. Don't do it like you're playing a game, but rather do it in remembrance of the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. Do it with seriousness. This is what it means. Amen. For often as you eat it, or whenever you eat it, this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Until he comes. Well, he ain't came back yet, so why have people forgotten Christ? Why have people forgotten to do the Passover communion? Amen? We're supposed to do Passover until Paul died? No. Until John died? No. Until the cross? No. Until he comes. Amen. And I say to you, even until paradise. Absolutely. Until paradise. Until there is no time anymore. Amen. Verse 27, therefore, whoever eats the, drink, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, in haste, without really thinking about what he's doing, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. It's a sin. It is a sin to take communion in a hasty manner without really contemplating, really thinking about, really reflecting about what it means to take the communion. Amen. Verse 28, but a person must examine himself, and in so doing he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. But he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks a judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. Now notice, in verse 28, judging yourself, and then verse 29 9 is judging the body. You know what this means? Before you take communion, not only must you judge yourself about whether you're truly saved or not before you drink of that, 
but also you ought to judge your so-called brothers and sisters and your pastor. Amen. Because if you're doing communion in the Lutheran church or the Catholic church, both of those does communion, or the Greek Orthodox, which does communion, or the Russian Orthodox, or a few other groups that do communion, if you're doing communion with those brothers and sisters, you're taking of the devil's table rather than the Lord's table. Amen. Amen. So you better judge yourself and those in the church, the body of Christ, so-called, before you sit down with those people and wash their feet and serve the devil. It's a serious thing. Who you take communion with is a serious situation. And in verse 30, for this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number of people are even sleeping dead. Has anybody ever told you that? That some people are sick and unhealthy, and some people even died because they took the communion when they was not saved? Or they took it with somebody else that was not saved. That's a serious thing. That's a very, very, very serious thing. This ain't Kool-Aid. This ain't a game. This ain't something you can do every week. It takes time to think out, you know what? I might love this person, but you know what? I don't think they're really saved. How am I going to deal with this? This takes time and thought. Verse 31, but if we judge ourselves rightly, we ought not to be judged. That means by God. For when we are judged, then we are disciplined by the Lord so that we would not be condemned along with the world. In other words, as the Bible says in another place, if you judge yourself and you examine yourself, Carefully, on a regular basis, every night when you go to bed, examining what you said, what you did, constantly examining yourself and constantly repenting, then you won't have to be condemned by God and you won't have to be condemned by the church. And people won't have to say, I can't take communion with you. Because you've done your homework and you've been serious about salvation and everybody around you knows that you're serious about salvation that you're growing you're growing in holiness you're repenting you might not be completely there yet but you're serious about your salvation and you are growing you are changing you don't have to be perfect to be baptized. Of course not. You don't have to be perfect to take communion. Of course not. 
But you do need before baptism and again before communion to show the fruits of repentance. Even as John the baptizer said to the Pharisees when they came for baptism, he rejected. He would not baptize them. He did not baptize them. Most people think that John did baptize the Pharisees, but the Bible says that they were not baptized by John. It says that. When they came to him for baptism, he rejected baptizing them because he says, where is your fruits of repentance? You haven't been repenting. I don't see no change in you. Amen. You have to show change before baptism and before communion. That way, it's not just faith alone, but true salvation. Amen. We won't have to be judged by one another, and God won't have to condemn us either if we judge ourselves rightly first. Verse 33, So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat the communion, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that you would not come together for judgment in the remaining matters I will arrange while I come. So what we do these days then is we eat only the Passover communion of only one bite of bread unleavened and one sip of wine per person. And that's it. We do the foot washing, Maybe sing a song if we want to and go home and eat at home. Like Paul said previously, do you not have homes to eat and drink in? And notice he didn't say, don't drink at home. They were getting drunk on the wine. He did not say, don't go home and drink, but rather he said, don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Big difference. Big difference. Amen? And then if you read the Old Testament, it even tells us that the very next night after that, it's called the night to be much observed. Much observed. So that very next night, night after Passover night, we all... Get together if you have brothers and sisters locally, true brothers and sisters, baptized brothers and sisters. You get together that next night for the night to be much observed, and you have much food and much drink. It is truly a fiesta, as the Mexicans and the Spanish would say, a fiesta. And it is a night of celebration that you were delivered from Egypt, that you was delivered from Babylon, that you was delivered from the false gods of Egypt. You was delivered from the Trinity and the pre-trib rapture and the eternal torture and all that robotic programming. Oh, it's very worthy to celebrate once a year Amen. and to really celebrate. Now. 
Now, we ought to judge one another. We should. You've got to judge who to allow in your home, who to allow in your church, who to allow in your neighborhood, who to allow in your schools, your clubs, your organizations, and your government. You have to judge people, and if you don't, you're a fool. If you read all of Matthew 7, it doesn't say that you can't judge anyone, but rather what it says is that you need to remove the beam, the giant sin, out of your own eye before you try to point out the sin of your brother with the smaller sin in his eye, the splinter. Clean up your own life first and get saved your own self first and judge yourself first. Then you can help somebody else to get saved and point out their sins in order to help them. But you've got to clean up your own life first and not be a hypocrite. This is what the Bible really teaches rather than you can't judge anyone. If you didn't judge anyone, you would already be dead. Absolutely every one of you. Every person listening to my voice would already been murdered years ago if you never judge anyone because you, you did judge. You did judge to lock your door, to lock your windows, to not let that particular person in your car, to not let that particular person watch your children alone. Every one of you have judged, thank God. That's why you're still alive. Amen. But you have to judge righteously, as the Bible says. I'm very clear here that we also need to judge the body, the body of the church, those that you're going to take communion with. You have to judge it. Otherwise, you could bring death or sickness upon somebody else or upon yourself. Look at 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6. Verse 14, page 196. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unfaithfulness. For what partnership have righteousness and lawlessness? Or what communion has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Bala, demons, or the devil? Or what portion faithfulness with unfaithfulness? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living Theos. Even as Theos said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their Theos, and they shall be my people. Now, if you, he said that. It says that God said that. If you look at where he said it, he said it in Exodus 25, verse 8, in relationship to the Ten Commandments, including the Sabbath day and the holy days. So people 
need to understand. God does not live in you, and you are not his people, and he is not your God if you're not keeping his commandments. It says, where is it, 1 John or 2 John, that says that if you say that you have come to know me and keep not my, and keep not my commandments, you're a liar and the truth is not in you. That's a very strong statement. It's hard for a lot of people to believe it, but it's scripture. They never read it before. You know, it amazes me, all these people that say they've read the whole Bible, maybe even read it two times, three times, four times, five times, a hundred times, and yet when they got to that verse, they were not shocked, just like many other Many, many, many other verses, when, when, when they read it, they were not shocked. It did not change their lives. It did not open their eyes. It did not deliver them from the brainwashing. How is this possible? i tell you how it's possible. They don't have the Holy Ghost of Jesus in them. Amen? Amen. There's plenty of pastors and lay members alike that have read the Bible repeatedly, but they did not have the Holy Ghost. And they read verses like this that ought to make the eyes, your eyes pop out of your head. It should, it should be like a nuclear explosion. Wait a minute, what did he just say? And they read it and they just kept reading it. They didn't even stop and think about it. it it did nothing to them. They read it like it was Kool-Aid. Amen. This verse right here is talking about that you've got to keep the commandments because that's what he's quoting. Is that I will be your God and you will be my people if you keep my commandments, my laws, my holy days, the seventh day, everything. It's only uh, five chapters past the Ten Commandments. It's the context. Everything past Exodus 20 is nothing but law. Amen. Chapter 17, therefore come out from among them. Who? Come out from among them and be separate. Come out from who? It tells you. Verse 16, you're the church, you're the temple. Verse 15, what harmony does the temple of God, what harmony does Christ, the Christians, have to do with the devil? You know what this is saying? Stop going to the Sunday churches. Stop going to the Easter churches, the Christmas churches, the Trinity churches, the pre-trib rapture churches, and the lawless churches that believe that all laws done away with. Stop going to them. Stop agreeing with the devils. And stop believing that they are saved and that they saved you and that God saved you when you did agree with them. It's time to leave Babylon as Revelation 18 says, Come out of her, my people, and be not a partaker of her sins and 
of her plagues. Time to leave Babylon. Amen. And be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. Do you want to be welcomed by Christ to be part of his family? You have to do something first. You first have to leave the false churches. Even before you get baptized, even before you get baptized, you are not welcome in the body of Christ until you're willing to leave the devil. And this also includes, like it or not, you need to be willing to leave demonic husbands and demonic wives and girlfriends and boyfriends and family and parents and children who are serving the devil every Christmas, every Easter, every Halloween, every horror movie, and so forth. Living with that in your home It's not right. It's not right. Even if you're married, even if you're not married, living in the same house as somebody that is doing Christmas or Easter or Halloween or horror movies, it's not right. And I know you've been programmed all of your life. You've got to be long-suffering and patient and forbearing, and you're going to save that person. Just keep praying. Just keep praying. Oh, come on, just keep praying. It's going to happen. The reality is you've got to stop touching stop sleeping with the enemy. Amen? Does it say that you can continue to touch those that do Halloween, those that do Christmas, do Easter? This is ball. And lawlessness? Do you not believe these verses? Oh, but Paul said, but Paul said, but Paul said in another chapter. Well, guess what? Paul wrote this too. Amen? Paul wrote this too. You've got to stop sleeping with and living with those that are serving the devil. You ought not to be partaking of the Lord's table and the table of Satan at the same time. It's filthy. God is holy. Amen. Who are you eating supper with every day? God is holy. Don't you dare take Passover this year until you leave. Amen. Oh, I can't do it. I ain't got the money. I ain't got the money. I ain't got the money. Like I told my mom when I was a very young man, 
I would rather live in a ditch than to live with this man. Didn't do any good for me to say that. But it was the God's honest truth. I would rather have lived in a ditch than to have lived with that monster that she was living with. Oh, but he, he brings in money into the house. I can't live without him. He brings money in the house. Oh, that amount of money is sufficient for me to live in hell? Oh, thank you, Mom. Thank you for doing me a favor. Ridiculous. Let's go to the book of Numbers in the Old Testament, book of Law, Numbers chapter 9. Almost done here. Numbers chapter 9 tells us about a second chance Passover. In case you're not baptized yet, April the 15th, two weeks from today, no, from yesterday, two weeks from yesterday, we've only got two weeks left till Passover. And if you're not able to be baptized yet by April the 15th, then there is a second chance Passover 30 days later. 30 days later is a second chance Passover. This is biblical. Numbers chapter 9, starting in verse 1 on page 168. Numbers 9, verse 1, And Jesus spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai in the second year after they had gone forth from the land of Egypt in the first month. That's the first month. That's the, the month of Passover, saying, Speak and let the children of Jezreel keep the Passover in its season, the proper time. On the 14th day of the first month at sunset, at evening. That needs to be changed to sunset. You should keep it in its season, in its proper time, not any time of year, but in its proper season. And you shall keep it according to its law and according to its ordinance. And Moses ordered the children of Jezreel to sacrifice the Passover. On the 14th day of the first month in the desert of Sinai, as Jesus appointed Moses, so did the children of Jezreel did. And there came men who were unclean by reason of a dead body. And they were not able to keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses, came at Moses, right in front of Moses and Aaron on that day, on Passover day. 
And those men said to Moses, we are unclean by reason of the dead body of a man. We had to bury a dead man or we touched a dead man. And back then, in the old covenant law, you had to cleanse your body for so many days before Passover if you had touched a dead person. And they didn't have time to do all of the washing. So we therefore fail to offer the gift of the Passover uh, offering because you're supposed to give an offering to God financially uh, ever holy day. In addition to your regular tithes every time you get paid, you're also supposed to give a free will offering ever holy day and also sacrifices back then, which we don't do now. And they were not able to do the sacrifices or to give anything to the altar of God because they were unclean in its season, not able to do it in its season, in the midst of the children of Jezreel. Verse 8, Moses said to them, Stand there, and I will hear what charge, what command that Jesus would give concerning you. And Jesus spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Jezreel, saying, that whatever man should be unclean by reason of a dead body or on a journey far away, so not only for the reason of touching a dead body, but even if their journey is too far to arrive at the church place where the church is having the Passover ceremony, if it's too far to get there on time, is another exception, another reason among you or among your posterity, among your children, he then shall keep the Passover to Jesus in the second month on the 14th day. So that would be 30 days later. In the, in the evening, after sunset, they shall offer it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs shall they eat it. Now the old covenant said you had to eat a lamb and the wine, and the salt, and the bitter herbs. But we don't do any of that now except for one sip of wine and one bite of unleavened bread. Because if you were to eat a lamb on Passover evening, today in the New Covenant time, what you're doing is going back to Old Covenant time, and Old Covenant customs and traditions and ordinances that are done away with when you're doing a lamb or sacrificing or eating any particular animal for the purpose of Passover communion. Christ is the Lamb of God, and we are eating and drinking his body, his blood, symbolically in that Passover bread and wine. So it would actually be sacrilegious and even a sin to eat, to eat a lamb today on Passover evening. Amen. Because then you're denying that Christ became the Passover lamb and so forth. You've got to treat it seriously in a new covenant fashion. And we no longer need to do the bitter herds, okay? Because the bitter herbs, which is some symbolism that you would cut that 
on top of the lamb and other different things. We don't have a lamb to put the bearded herbs on. Okay? We don't have to do any of this. Did, did you hear anything about Jesus doing the bitter lamb? I mean, the bitter herds? No. Now, he did, though. He did eat a lamb and did have the bitter herds, even though it doesn't say it. Because until the moment he died, until the moment he died, the law of the bitter herds and the law of the lamb was still intact. So he did it. But there's a reason why it's not listed in the New Testament. It's because we don't have to do it. Amen? Amen. And verse 12, they shall not leave of it any of that food. None of it should be left until the next day. And they shall not break a bone of it because there was not a bone of his body broken. That's why. And they shall sacrifice it according to the ordinance of the Passover. And <clears throat> whatever man shall be clean, but is not far off on a journey and shall fail, but is not far off on a journey, shall fail to keep and shall fail to keep the Passover, that so will be cut off. From so if there's no reason for him to delay, then he must take it at the first. Passover, because he has not offered the gift to Jesus in its season, in its time, that man should bear his iniquity. And if there, if there should come to you a stranger in the land and should keep the Passover to Jesus, he should keep it according to the law of the Passover and according to his ordinance, and there should be one law for you, both for the stranger and for the native of the land. <clears throat> So what this means is that you should be willing to open the door of your house to a person that is traveling who needs to keep the Passover, and they are clean, they are baptized, they are saved, and to the best of your knowledge, they are saved. They're not necessarily perfect, but they are saved. You should welcome them in. And, but, but, there's two different types of strangers in the Bible. Amen? There is a stranger in this case that you do welcome in your house. The definition of a stranger there is just somebody you don't know. But to your best of your knowledge, yes, they're saved. But then there's a different type of stranger over in Exodus that you should not do communion with. And that is over in uh, Exodus 12, verse 43. Let's turn there, Exodus 12. 101. Page 101. Passover 101. We could call the sermon that if we wanted to. <laughs> Passover 101. Exodus 12, verse 43. Exodus 12, verse 43. And Jesus said to Moses and Aaron, 
This is the law of the Passover. No stranger shall eat of it. Verse 44, and every slave or servant bought with money, him you shall circumcise, and then he shall eat of it. And 45 seems to contradict what we just read, seems to contradict a sojourner or a hireling shall not eat of it, and so forth. So let's clear up this confusion here. The thing is, there's a stranger that you simply don't know, and then there's a stranger that is a foreigner to God. That means an alien of God. That means somebody that is not a citizen of the kingdom. Amen. You have to be baptized to be saved. Therefore, you must be baptized to take communion. If you're not baptized in the truth, with the true knowledge that God is not a trinity, that you shouldn't do Christmas and Easter, that you must keep Passover, that you must keep the Sabbath, then you are not yet a citizen of the kingdom, and therefore you are a stranger to God. Going back to what it says in 1 John or 2 John, those that say they have come to know me, but keep those that say they have come to know me, but keep not my commandments, they are a liar. They have not come to know me. They are a stranger. So that's a different type of stranger. Okay? But, as far as the sojourn, that's something you have to be extremely, extremely careful about. I think that's why there seems to be a contradiction there is that it would be wise not to keep the communion with somebody you don't know, you never met them until that day. But yet, at the same time, if you have taken the time to sit down and talk with them, get to know them, give them a few drinks in in the day before or the week before, if they was there that long. Because I tell you what, when somebody's drinking, their true self comes out. A lot of people think that alcohol turns a person into a beast, into an evil person. They get arrested, they fight, they curse more than usual, they become unruly, they become an idiot. The truth is, that whatever you are already, before you start drinking, whatever you truly are inside your heart and mind that nobody can see, that comes out when a person drinks. It is not the alcohol that made that person unruly, but rather the alcohol wolfened up that person's mouth, that person's heart, to spill out what's really in that person, that person who they really, really are. You really, really, really want to know a person 
what they're really about. Give them a few drinks. It is the truth, truth serum. Amen. Amen. It is a truth serum. I'm just telling you the truth. You may not like it, but that's the truth. Now, let's read another thing about the second chance Passover. Let's go over to the history book, volume two, history, two chronicles, book of two chronicles. Chapter 30, page 201 in the history volume, 201, 2 Chronicles 30, and this is the last passage we're going to read according to what I know right now, 2 Chronicles 30, verse 1. Chronicles chapter 30 verse 1. Hezekiah sent to all Jezreel and Judah. Notice there's a difference between the Jews and Israel in that verse. Most people that call themselves Christians don't know enough of the Bible to realize that the Jews, Judah here, are not the only Israelites. Most people, most pastors think that only the Jews, only the Jews were the nation of Israel in the Bible. That's not true at all. The Jews were only one tribe of Israel, but you also had the tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim and Reuben and Dan and other tribes that were not Jews, but they were still Hebrews and they were still Israelites, nevertheless. But most people who think and they say, I've read the Bible, I've read the whole Bible, they don't even know that. They don't even know that very basic, very elementary fact. Something wrong with that picture. Something wrong with that picture. But here you got both the Jews and the other tribes of Israel. And Hezekiah wrote letters also to Ephraim, which I didn't even realize it said that there. He wrote letters to Ephraim and to Manasseh that they should come into the house of, of Jesus to Jerusalem to keep the Passover to Jesus, Theos of Jezreel. For the king and the princes and all the congregation in Jerusalem designed to keep the Passover in the second month. Second month, not the first. This is the second chance Passover. For they could not keep it at that time of the first month because a, a sufficient number of priests had not purified themselves and the people were not gathered yet to Jerusalem. And the proposal pleased the king and the congregation. 
And they established a decree that a proclamation should go through all of Jezreel from the town of uh, Bathsheba to the town of Dan or to the tribe of Dan, one or another, and they should come and keep the Passover to Jesus, Theos of Jerusalem, uh, of Israel, at Jerusalem. For the multitude had not done it lately according to the scripture. And the post, the letters, that means the letters, went out to the people. Now let's skip down to verse 21. Verse 21. And the children of Jezreel who were present in Jerusalem kept the fiesta of unleavened bread seven days with great joy. This is in the second month. So they not only did the Passover in the second month, but they also did the unleavened bread all seven days in the second month. Now I confess that I have in the past um, told people wrongly that they only need to do only the Passover in the second month if they wasn't yet baptized or was not yet ready in the first month. So I stand corrected that they also should do the seven days of unleavened bread in the second month if they did not do it in the first month. And it says they did so seven days with great joy. Great joy. It should not be a dull occasion. It don't have to be a dull Ceremony. It don't have to be a dull. Now, Passover needs to be very, very solemn. But then that next night, it should be a great celebration with much drink and much food. I know that offends some people because of the brainwashing. But it is the reality. It is the reality. It takes time. For people to embrace all of reality it takes time to undo all the brainwashing. But they celebrated with great joy and they continued to sing hymns to Jesus daily. And the priests and the Levites played on instruments to Jesus. Did you know that there's at least two different denominations that don't believe in playing musical instruments in the church? That's ridiculous. Amen. A church that is wrongfully, wrongfully called the Church of Christ. And then also, I believe that some one of the one of the minor divisions of the Baptist Church. There's a lot of divisions of the Baptist Church. I believe one of those also don't believe in musical instruments. How can you say that you're a pastor? Well, how can you say you're a Christian and you read the Bible and not believe in playing musical instruments to worship God in the church setting? This is how ignorant these churches are. It's time to leave Babylon. Amen. You know, there's a reason why Babylon is spelled Babylon. Even though when you look up the definitions, Strong's Recurrence, 
it comes from Babel, which means confusion. And it is confusion. And these churches are very confusing because everything they say contradicts the Bible. Almost everything contradicts the Bible. So it is much confusion. And because there's a lot of different, I don't know how many different Baptist churches there are. You've got the primitive Baptists, the Southern Baptists, and all kinds of other Baptists, the free will Baptists, and other Baptists. They're so divided, it's very confusion. So much confusion. But there's another reason. And that is a baby. It's spelt baby line. It comes from Babel, but it's spelt in our modern times in English. Babylon, and there's definitely a reason, is because babies babble with their mouth. They babble in their language as babies. Like a lot of Pentecostal churches with all that gibberish. Don't get me wrong, I definitely believe in speaking in unknown tongues. It's in the Bible. The New Testament says, forbid not speaking in tongues. I believe the Bible. That's what it says. Do not forbid speaking in tongues. We definitely should not forbid speaking in tongues if it's true speaking in tongues. If it's true speaking in tongues. But if somebody comes in here just babbling a bunch of gibberish and it's not true speaking in tongues, then it's my job to tell them to shut up in different words. Amen. And all of this confusing doctrine and all this legalism, children, they have a lot of ignorance. Amen. Babylon. Is nothing but ignorance. Children don't have the capacity of understanding things. Amen? Certain things. You have to be at least 7, 8, 9, 10 years old to start understanding some of the basic things about the Bible. Amen. And really, if you really think about it and be honest with yourself, you really need to be at least 12, 13 years old, at least 10, to really even to start, to just start really understanding these things. You know, a five-year-old, these people that say, say that they're saved when they're five, give me a break. A five-year-old does not understand. They barely understand the difference between yellow and red, almost. That's about all they do understand, the difference between yellow and red. Anything beyond that, they can't understand much. You have to have some ability to understand Scripture. Amen.
So anyway, you get the point there is that there's different reasons to go into a second chance Passover. But if at all possible, we're to try to keep the first Passover. And that concludes the sermon, and let's go into some announcements now. Now, thank you for your patience. Passover communion will be April the 15th, Friday, two weeks from now, April the 15th, Friday at sunset. We are not going to record that. We usually always record uh, the worship services, the sermon, everything, but we're not going to have a sermon that evening. Only thing we're going to do is take a very solemn communion foot worship, and that's it. And I'm not going to record that. That's something that is more private within each congregation. It's a private thing. And we don't need lost people spying in on us on something that is so holy and so special. It's much more holy and much more special than our weekly worship services. It's a once-a-year thing, and it should be treated with more respect and more holiness. So we do not record it for lost people to come and sneak and listen in? No. And it's followed by foot washing if you have a true brother or sister to do that with. And you do your unleavened bread, and then you continue eating unleavened bread for this, the next seven 24-hour periods, beginning at sunset of Passover evening. Seven 24-hour periods of unleavened bread. You also continue to eat everything else. You're not fasting from all other food. You can continue to eat your food, your vegetables, your meat. You continue to eat as normal, except for you are abstaining and fasting from leavened bread. Leavened bread. You don't have to worry about yeast and baking soda that's in soup and drinks and other stuff like that. You only need to boycott or staying fast from leavened bread products. So that's crackers that have baking soda or baking powder or yeast. Maybe some of the cereals would be a bread product that might have some yeast or something in it, but most of your cereals probably won't have that, but maybe some of them do. Cakes, uh, bread, sandwich bread, stuff like that, cornbread, biscuits, stuff like that are things that we'll be fasting from. Um, and in addition to fasting from the leavened bread, you also are eating, in addition to eating other foods, you are also eating the unleavened bread every day, at least one bite. If you want to eat a lot of unbread, unleavened bread, that's okay. 
for those next seven days. You can eat as much unleavened bread as you want during those next seven days. But at least one bite of unleavened bread each day, each 24-hour period. And you can continue also to finish the wine that's left over from Passover evening as well. Passover communion, you only take one piece of bread and one piece of, and one sip of wine for each person. Then you're going to have the rest of that wine bottle left over, and it would be fully acceptable and preferred and good to continue to finish that bottle the next night or two would be perfectly fine and acceptable. Uh, the Sabbath rest, April the 15th at sunset until April the 17th at sunrise. Sabbath rest, no work, no school, no homework, no college, no earning money, and no going to the restaurant, and no going to the grocery store. You should not require other people to work for you when you yourself are keeping the commandment to not work. It's not right to go to the restaurants on the Sabbath. Not right to go to the grocery stores or any type of business where they are serving you, where there is a person, a human being, waiting on you and serving you, and they're getting paid for it on the Sabbath, Saturday, or any of the holy days. It's not right. And it's hypocritical. It's a hypocrite who would say, Well, I should not work today, but waitress, come here. That's a hypocrite. There may be some exceptions, but speaking in general, you should not have somebody working for you when you yourself are not working by command of the Lord. Amen. So Sabbath, April the 15th, sunset, until April 17th, sunrise. Also, April the 21st, Thursday, April the 21st, Thursday, at sunset, until April the 22nd, Friday, at sunset. Plus your normal weekly Sabbath. We have an unleavened bread uh, communion bread recipe and other details of how to keep these days and what, what to do and what not to do is already listed on the website on the Passover article and the other article about the seven days of unleavened bread. So please, before you send me any questions, before I get questions from Frank and Diane and Sue and Hendry and Ralph and somebody else and someone else and someone else and someone else. Before I get all these questions, please take the time. Please take the time to read the articles about Passover and unleavened bread because 
it's already explained for you. It's already written out in great detail. All you got to do is slowly and carefully read every word on the page about Passover and every word on the page about unleavened bread. It's just two articles. And if you read those two articles, I am sure that every question you have is already explained there. It's very much in detail with scripture, what to do, what not to do, uh, even a recipe for the bread. So it's there for your convenience. I have already laid it out on a silver platter. I don't mind serving you and helping you, but please do your own homework first. Do your own homework first. Read the Bible. Read Exodus. Read Leviticus. Read Matthew. Read these passages that are talking about Passover and unleavened bread. Read those in your own Bible and pray and think and use some common sense before sending me a question. And then after you do all that, if you still have a question, there is a search box on the bottom of the page on every page on the website just about. All you got to do is go to the bottom of the page on the website, any page, on any pick a page on the website. Go to the bottom. There's a box down there and type your question in that box or a word or two in that box and look for search results on the website where the answer might already be. And look at Bible verses, pray and study. And then if you still have a question, I'm here for you. I am here for you. I do want to help you. But I really don't want to treat you like a baby. And I really don't want to spoon feed you. I would rather for you to exercise maturity and responsibility and read these scriptures and cross-reference verse with verse with verse and read the articles and do your homework. I'd rather that you do it that way because that's better for you and your relationship with the Lord in addition to the fact that it takes a lot of my time to answer the same question for multiple people. Anything, Brother Gerald, you'd like to add? There's yeast and wine, too. Exactly. There is yeast inside of wine. You can't have wine without yeast. So that proves that you don't have to worry about yeast and baking soda inside of something that's not a bread product. It's called unleavened bread, the seven days of unleavened bread, for a reason. You don't have to worry about yeast and baking soda in something that is not a bread grain. So we're focusing on the bread grains, flour, cornmeal, and other bread grains. 
That's the only thing you need to look at in your house to see if there is a leavening product, yeast, baking soda, baking powder, or something like that, or it might say leavening inside that particular product. Amen. Okay, thank you for listening. Thank you for your patience. Let's see. Today is April the 2nd, first day, first month of the biblical calendar. And I will see you on the 9th next Saturday. I'm also going to be posting my notes from this sermon on MeWe for you to look at all of these verses again. And I would really recommend that you do that. Um, maybe tonight, maybe tomorrow's, maybe sometime next uh, during this week to go back and read all these verses again slowly, carefully, in prayer, examining about whether or not I'm telling you the truth. I don't want anybody to blindly and immediately accept everything I say without questioning. I'm not God. What I want you to do is take these Bible verses in prayer and continue to cross-reference and question yourself about what you believe and what the truth really is. But the truth is plain evident. Amen. And you will see that in your studies. Amen. Read the Bible. And if you have not yet read the entire Bible after baptism, even if you've already read it a hundred times, if you have not yet read the entire Bible after true baptism, then I would encourage you to read the Bible for the first time in your life. <laughs> you may have already read it a hundred times when you were when you was with the Christmas and the Easter people. But it's different now. Amen. You're going to see words in there that you could swear that was not there before. Because if it was there before, it would have blown your mind. Well, it was there that you did not yet have eyes to see. But now God has given you eyes to see. Amen. To read it again with the new eyes that God has given you. Amen. Well, I praise the Lord for the miracle that we all witness today, even as we do almost ever so, we witness a miracle of the Lord, but we should not take it for granted just because that we witness it often. Don't take it for granted. Appreciate it. Think about it and praise the Lord for it. Not just right now, but tonight and tomorrow. Continue to think about the wonderfulness of the Lord. Praise his name and lift up his name. The name of Christ, the name of Jesus, should be lifted up on high in your home. It'll run the devils out. It will. To lift up his name in your home and sing praises and shout praises to his name. It will run the devils out of your home. Amen. Praise God. I'll let you all go now. Thank you for listening. God bless you. Amen.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.